Let's pray together, and then we will open the word once again. Lord, we declare this morning that there is none among the gods like you. You are the one who has created all things. You are the supreme, capital G, God. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from the curse, to set us free, to give us eternal life. And Lord God, this morning, we pray that you would come into our midst and be our teacher. Show us the things concerning your ways, your righteousness, your faithfulness, your power, your goodness. And that we would be encouraged, Lord, consoled perhaps by the word, whatever it is your pleasure to do, and that we would leave this place later changed because we have been exposed to your word once again. We pray these things in the mighty and in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, you might remember a TV show from about 10 years ago, 10 years ago already, called Extreme Makeover Home Edition. It was hosted by a guy named Ty Pennington. The pattern of that show really was the same most weeks. It started by presenting a family who were struggling in some sense, they were down on their luck, living in a home that was unsatisfactory, that was inadequate to their needs. And then the producers of the show would send that family on a vacation where they would stay temporarily in a fine hotel enjoy some sightseeing while they were out there, and meanwhile, back home, their unsatisfactory house was being torn down, and a new, vastly upgraded home was being built in the same spot. My friends, you and I live the whole of our lives on this fallen earth. And this fallen earth is not all that it should be. Would you agree? Amen. When we die as believers in Jesus Christ, our bodies remain on this earth while God takes our souls to a fine hotel, so to speak, to heaven, which is a place of temporary thrills and enjoyments. Yes, temporary. Our final location as believers will be this earth, but an earth that has received an extreme makeover no longer unsatisfactory, but renovated with a degree of beauty and with a degree of perfection that none of us can currently imagine. Our soul, which has been in the fine hotel, quote unquote, with God, our soul will be reunited with our now glorified body and we will live eternally in the renewed renovated house 
called the new earth. Now, you know, when you say amen, it puts fire in the preacher's bones, right? (laughs) Thank you for the amens. You know, I think one of our problems as contemporary evangelical Christians is that we place, and I want you to listen, we place perhaps too much emphasis on the notion of going up to heaven when we die. We forget what the Bible teaches. That yes, indeed our souls do go to heaven when we die, but that is only a temporary situation. Our final destination, once again, is the new, vastly renovated earth in our resurrected material, physical bodies, which likewise are going to undergo a vast renovation. Yes. I won't need these glasses anymore. (laughs) And I'll have hair. (laughs) Well, in his recent book entitled Not Home Yet, Ian Smith points out something that's very true. He says, the Bible is more concerned with God coming down to earth than with human beings going up to heaven. One more time, the Bible is more concerned with God coming down to earth than with humans going up to heaven. Isn't that true? God comes down to be with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God comes down to be with his people Israel in the dust of the desert, in the tabernacle. God comes down to a human city called Jerusalem to dwell in the temple of Solomon, the bricks and mortar temple. God comes down to dwell in person with us in the man, Jesus Christ. And God remained down here with us as he endured the cross to forgive us of our sin. And God's son remained down here with us when three days later he was raised from the dead for our justification. And he will come down to us again at the second coming. According to Revelation 21.2, the new Jerusalem will come, which way? Down. And again in Revelation 21.10, the holy city Jerusalem will come down out of heaven from God. My friends, the Bible is more concerned with God coming down to earth than with humans going up to heaven. Scripture has God frequenting his earth a whole lot. We need to understand that God made this earth with everything and everything on it, and he pronounced it good. And he remains committed to the earth that he made. There is a great day coming when he will certainly purge this earth of every single shred of evil. Yes, he will. He will purify this earth completely and finally, 
And in fact, didn't he already inaugurate that work in his son, Jesus Christ, when Jesus, in his earthly ministry, went around the countryside doing what? Reversing the effects of the curse. Yes? Healing disease. Reversing death itself in many cases and being resurrected himself. But the point we're making here is that the material stuff of this earth is good. And our eternal home is this earth, but a renovated, regenerated, and renewed earth. Well, this morning, I want to take us to four scripture texts very, very quickly, where Jesus himself and the apostles Peter and Paul discuss the renewal of the earth. So come with me first to Matthew chapter 19. So we're at Matthew 19, verse 27, and Peter, being inquisitive Peter, he asks Jesus a question. I'll paraphrase. Peter says, in effect, hey, Jesus, we disciples, you have to understand, we've left everything to have followed you. What then will we have? The audacity of Peter, right? What will we get out of this deal, Jesus? Well, Jesus answers Peter's question. Jesus tells Peter that what will happen in the future is that followers of Jesus will find themselves in a judicial role, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And they will also receive a hundredfold, says Jesus, and will inherit eternal life. But what I want us to notice is just the first part of verse 28 where Jesus says, listen to what he says, truly I say to you, in the what? New world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, in the new world. Now in the original Greek text here, there's a word that means regeneration. Regeneration or renewal. Is another way that it could be translated. This Greek word is used in only one other place in the entire New Testament, and that is at Titus 3, verse 5, where in the context of the individual's salvation, individual person's salvation, God renews us by washing. So in Titus 3.5, we have the word used in the context of individual human renewal that is performed by God. And then its only other use in the New Testament is here in Matthew 19.28. The same word here is used not of individual renewal, but of cosmic renewal performed by God. And this is significant, friends, because it tells us that God's plan, listen, God's plan of renewal, his plan of regeneration, isn't only and solely for human beings. It's broader than that. God's plan of regeneration, renewal, also applies to the entire creation that he has made. 
Now, there are several English versions of Matthew 19.28 that reflect the sense of the renewal of the world that is coming. For instance, the New Living Translation, when the world is made new, I assure you, says Jesus, that when the world is made new and the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, Likewise, the NIV has, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, or the King James New American Standard and 1599 Geneva Bible, each have the phrase, in the regeneration. Get this, friends, your salvation and my salvation, our regeneration, our renewal by the Holy Spirit is only installment number one of what is to come. God will regenerate, renew, make new the entire cosmos. Can you fathom it? As John Piper has said, quote, God's purpose is that the entire creation be born again. That is, the whole universe, the whole universe will replace its futility and corruption and disease and degeneration and disasters with a whole new order. He says, a new heaven and a new earth. This will be the great universal regeneration, the great universal new birth. Can you imagine extreme makeover, eternal home edition? I love how Stephen Whitmer puts it when he says this, The world we're heading to is the world we're living in, but liberated, renewed, and perfected. Yes, indeed. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, we can think of our entire existence, our entire existence, from the moment we're conceived in our mother's womb, our entire existence as a round trip. We're born into this world, And then we die, and our souls go to heaven while our bodies wait on earth for the reunion of soul and body, now to live eternally back on what will be a renewed earth in our glorified, everlasting bodies. So that's our first text, Matthew 19. But let's hasten on now to our second text, which is found in the third chapter of Acts. So this is the Apostle Peter preaching away in Jerusalem. He's at Solomon's portico in the temple. And in verse 20, Peter says that Jesus, now keep in mind here, Jesus had only recently, relatively recently, been crucified, had resurrected, and had ascended, Jesus will be sent again, Peter confirms, but for now, heaven has received him. 
Heaven has received him, says Peter in verse 21, until what? Until the time for restoring all the things which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. I like how the New Jerusalem Bible has rendered the Greek here. That version says this, Jesus, whom heaven must keep until the universal restoration comes, the universal restoration comes, which God proclaimed, speaking through his holy prophets, the universal restoration. My friends, when Jesus comes again, there will be a universal restoration, a sort of resetting to the pristine glorious conditions of the original world. And that universal restoration, Peter says, was proclaimed by God through his Old Testament prophets. Where in the prophets? Well, in places like Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 66, where God, in very breathtaking radical fashion promised a new heavens and a new earth. Right there in Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 66. My friends, look today at your world. Look at all the trouble in the world and believe God's promise. Take it to heart today. There is a thorough restoration that is coming. Acts 3. And then our third passage this morning was written by the Apostle Paul, that great chapter, Romans 8. Now I wonder, can you think of an, an experience or two in your lifetime where you have been very eagerly anticipating something? I was thinking about this this week, and I remembered about 10 or 11 years ago, I was waiting in the Calgary airport for a plane to arrive. My good friend Carl was coming from Ontario to Calgary. Carl and I had gone to college together, but I hadn't seen Carl for about 16 years at that point. And so I knew which escalator he would come down after he deboarded. And I remember standing at the bottom of the escalator, kind of on my tiptoes, trying to see over people to catch the first glimpse of my good friend coming down the escalator. I was eager as I was waiting for him. Well, friends, in Romans 8.19, what happens? The Apostle Paul personifies the entire creation in that way. He says in Romans 8, 19, for the creation, what? Waits, the creation waits with eager, on tiptoes, eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Yes, it does. My two dogs... Every birch tree, 
Every chinchilla, every mako shark, every Canada goose is engaged mysteriously in an eager waiting and longing. For what? For the public revelation of the sons and the daughters of God. Tigers, newts, crocodiles. Wait for that time, listen, when believing human beings in their resurrected bodies will shine like the sun, alive forevermore on God's renewed earth. Creation eagerly longs for the final renewal of all things that is coming. And you know, when you long for something, the longing is often fueled, or can be fueled, by a sort of pain, right? Well, the longing of creation is fueled by its present condition. Romans 8.20, the creation was subjected to what? was subjected to futility, or the creation was subjected to frustration. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about Genesis chapter 3. Back in Genesis 3, 17 and 18, God subjected his creation to frustration, to futility. The ground was cursed and thorns and thistles arose, and creation in that moment became less than it had been. It became hampered. Its wings were clipped. It descended into frustration, and why? Because of the mutiny of human beings. Yes? So serious, friends, was the mutiny of Adam and Eve that the whole creation suffered its effects and still does to this day. But Paul says at the end of verse 20, notice what he says, he says that the creation was subjected to this futility not willingly, but because of him, God, who subjected it, how? In hope. So even when the events of Genesis 3 were unfolding, there was hope. And the hope, as Paul says in verse 21, was that the creation itself will be set free. Set free from its bondage to decay. Those of you who are losing your hearing, who are aging, who have bad eyes, bad knees, who have cancer, 
heart disease, its bondage to decay, set free from its bondage to decay, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Set free, liberated, released from bondage. This is Exodus language that Paul is using here, speaking of the creation. And so it suggests that the entire creation, friends, is currently enslaved under the curse. I mean, just look at the decay, the disease, the decline that is our experience, yes? But there is a day coming There is a day coming when the whole creation, can you fathom it, will be set free. Will be renewed, will be regenerated, will be restored. Extreme makeover. Eternal home edition, indeed. Listen to Anthony Hokema here as he gives, I think, a nice summary of what we've just been talking about. Hokema says this, quote, Because of man's fall into sin, a curse was pronounced over this creation. But God now sent his son into this world to redeem that creation from the results of sin. The work of Christ, he says, the work of Christ, therefore, is not just to save certain individuals, not even to save an innumerable throng of blood-bought people. Okuma continues, the total work of Christ, the total work, is nothing less than to redeem his entire creation from the effects of sin. That purpose will not be accomplished until God has ushered in the new earth, until paradise lost has become paradise regained. I can't wait. Now, unfortunately, there has been a mistaken teaching floating around in some Christian circles for a long time, which is this, that God will completely destroy the present earth and create a completely new one. And this mistaken notion comes from, I think, a misreading of 2 Peter 3, which is our fourth and final text this morning. Now, we read 2 Peter 3, it sure seems that it's teaching a total destruction of the earth that will one day happen, especially with a verse like verse 7, saying that the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Now that sure seems to suggest that there is a fiery destruction coming for the earth. Stay with me. What we need to notice in this chapter very carefully is the verse that comes just before verse 7, which is verse 6, where Peter talks about the days of Noah and the great flood Peter reminds us there that the world that then existed, that then existed, so in Noah's time, was what? Deluged with water and perished. 
deluged with water, and perished. So there in verse six, Peter is referencing the flood at the time of Noah. God judged the world at that time, as we know. God deluged the world with water. And says Peter, the world perished. Notice that very carefully. What does Peter mean by saying that the world perished at the time of Noah's flood? Certainly he does not mean that the earth ceased to be altogether. We know that the earth continued in its existence after the flood, yes. The earth was not obliterated in the flood. The earth itself did not perish. What Peter means here, of course, when he speaks of the world perishing is what? It's that the unrighteous, wicked people of Noah's day drowned in the flood. But the earth itself? The earth remained after the flood and it remains to this day. So the perishing of the world that Peter has in mind here is really what? It's a purging of the world, yes? It is a cleansing of the world. In the flood, God purged, God cleansed away the wickedness and the unrighteousness that had been so rampant on the earth. So then, that's verse six. In the very next verse, when Peter mentions the earth being stored up for fire, it's very likely that the same sense applies. The fire of God that is coming is a purging fire. It is not a total destruction fire. Notice carefully at the end of verse 7, Peter talks about the destruction of what? Not the earth itself, but the ungodly who are on the earth, as it was in Noah's day. The wicked, unrepentant rebels against God will be purged away in that day, as it was in the days of Noah's flood. And we notice also down in verse 10 that Peter talks about the earth and the works done on it. The earth and the works done on it being exposed. Works of evil, friends, are like chaff and they will be burnt away. They will be cleansed. They will be purged from the earth forever. Now, say you read this news headline. News headline says, Farmer's Field Destroyed by Fire. What does the word destroyed mean there exactly? It means that the fire burnt up everything that was on the earth, that was growing on the earth. It burnt up the wheat, the barley, the flax. Total loss. But the plot of earth itself was not destroyed, was not obliterated. The actual plot of land would remain there after that fire. And this is the sense of 2 Peter 3. 
on the last day, God will burn away, he will destroy, he will obliterate, not the earth itself, but every wicked and evil thing that exists on the earth. But the present earth will remain, and it will be renewed, it will be regenerated, as Peter says down in verse 13. We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which what? Righteousness dwells, because that's not the case right now. In which righteousness dwells. No more evil and sin dwelling here, because they will have been burned away. Extreme makeover, eternal home edition. Somebody's calling to make sure they have a spot on the new earth. Well, friends, this morning we began at Matthew 19.28, where from the lips of Jesus himself we have the promise that the world will be regenerated and renewed. And then we went to Acts 3.21, where Peter spoke of the restoration of all things that is yet to come. And then we went over to Romans 8, where Paul outlines creation's eager longing to be liberated from its bondage to decay. And then finally, we went to the Apostle Peter again in 2 Peter chapter 3, who describes a coming divine purge of all unrighteousness on the earth so that we will end up with a world in which righteousness dwells. Now, I don't know about you, and I'm saying this quite literally, I can't imagine what the renewed, restored, freed, purged earth will look like in that great day when we as believers in Jesus Christ will be touring it in our resurrected, glorified bodies. I can't imagine. But what I suspect is this. Well, actually, first, let me tell you a brief story about June 29th, June 29th, I had to look, June 29th, 2015. June 29th, 2015. I wrote down the date because it was a great day. Our family had just arrived for, for some vacation time at Calling Lake in Alberta, where our family, extended family, has had a little cabin there for about 40 years now. So we were unpacking the car. It was a rather hot evening. We unpacked the car, brought everything in. By the time we were all organized, I had worked up uh, quite a sweat, so I went down to the lake for a swim. And I remember that the sun set that night. This isn't an actual picture, but it's close. The sunset that night was just absolutely spectacular. It was dramatic, fiery gold, some pink, yellow. The water temperature in the lake was exactly perfect. Not too warm and not too cold. There were no bugs flying around that night. <laughs> yes. <laughs> With all this rain, we have some bugs. No bugs flying around, there was no wind, just a stillness. And the gorgeous sunset as I floated there in the beautiful water. And I began to pray. And I began to thank God for my senses, by which I could take everything in, and just for the fact that we were there to appreciate all of this. And I started to tear up, I remember. 
adding some water to the lake. I was just so thankful. Well, friends, what I suspect, what I suspect about the renewed, restored, freed, purged earth that is coming is that a sweet, delicious life experience like the one I just described is something like licking the batter off of mom's cake beaters. The cake batter tastes great, but it's not the completed cake. Our sweetest experiences in this life are like little appetizers. Pick your greatest experience in this life. It's like a little appetizer. It's like a little hint of far greater pleasures that are to come. I suspect that Stephen Whitmer is right in his book, Eternity Changes Everything. Whitmer says this. Listen to this. I love this. I come back to this because I love it. He says, think of the keenest pleasures you've experienced in this world. Are you thinking of them? The keenest pleasures that you have experienced in this world. Now imagine them heightened and purified and prolonged forever. (laughs) He says, colors will be more vivid. Jokes will be funnier. The taste of food will be richer. Glorified taste buds, right? He continues, this is the part I love, somehow a steak will be more a steak. A flower will be more a flower. A friend will be more a friend. And then Whitmer says, in this life, we are experiencing only a fraction of true life. He says, we're like the little kid who bangs away on three piano keys and thinks he's playing the piano. The new creation is God's invitation to enjoy the rest of the keyboard. Okay, my friends, if this is all true, if if there is such an extreme makeover of this earth that's going to happen in the future, then there are are implications for the present. And I want to mention, for the sake of time, just two of those implications now as we wrap this up toward a close. So the first thing, just to reiterate, is that the Bible makes it abundantly clear that you and I are meant to live eternally on the renewed earth. One theologian I read this week said, this is maybe the best kept secret in Christianity. (laughs) We're, We're to live eternally on the renewed earth. God declared the word good, right, on the earth and on the creatures that he created to live on the earth, and God remains committed to his earth. One day, his glory is going to cover the earth. Our attitude then toward this earth in the present should reflect God's attitude. The earth and all its created animate, inanimate matter is good. Yes? Yes. 
and it is worthy of our care. Maple trees are good. Lemurs are good. Pelicans are good. Mosquitoes are maybe somehow good. <laughs> Haven't figured that one out yet. Earth care, done from a robust theological perspective, is good. There is a kind of kingly and queenly, caring, benevolent, responsible, Jesus-like dominion over the earth. That is our responsibility, in fact, as believers. So I want to leave the application of that this week to you. How will you apply that this week? The second implication, and then I'm done, of a renewed, restored, freed, purged earth being just on the horizon is that we don't have to be anxious. And I want you to listen, especially elderly people, thinking about the last years of your life. You don't have to be anxious None of us do in our 80 to 85 year average lifespan that we haven't seen it all, that we haven't experienced it all. That's why I don't like this bucket list thing. <laughs> I don't need a bucket list. I'm going to be on the new earth. We needn't be anxious that time is slipping through our fingers and there's so much more to experience that I'll never experience on this earth. As believers in Jesus Christ, we can have an attitude of patient hope since we know that we will be back here one day in our resurrected bodies. I don't know, it might be easier for us, I think, to scale Mount Everest in our resurrected bodies or to run that marathon that we always hoped to run but didn't, or to do that Ironman competition. We'll have endless time on the renewed earth to do those things, to visit nations, to learn languages that we never learned in this life, to, to taste international cuisine that somehow we missed in this life. And again, with our glorified taste buds and glorified tongues going crazy as we taste this delicious food. Most important in the renewed earth. And then I'm officially done. Pastors say that all the time, right? <laughs> then they keep going. Most important on the renewed earth is for us to be face to face with the one who redeemed us. Amen. To be face to face, face to face with the crucified resurrected, ascended, and by then returned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Just, just think, think about walking, literally walking with him, learning from him, maybe even going swimming with him, Amen. loving him, being, being loved by him. Amen. I can't wait. How about you? I can't wait. So, my friends, go out into this present world this week with the sure knowledge and hope that there is a renewed world on the horizon. Let's pray together. Our God in heaven, you give us
promises that are absolutely mind-blowing, breathtaking. Sometimes when we read your word, Lord, we feel like we're six again. Just so excited and so full of anticipation, we can't wait. I pray, Lord, for everyone here in the sound of my voice this morning, that we would go out this week with a lift in our spirits, joy, wanting, willing to share the gospel, hope with others. We thank you for your power and your greatness and the fact that your promises are always 100% true. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.